So welcome to our call this morning. Uh, uh, I just got back from California. I'm a little bit dazed, so forgive me. Recording. So just so you know, um, if there's anything you want to say that shouldn't be recorded, let me know. Um, I don't know what else to say. Uh, does anybody have any anything they want to talk about? We could all just kind of sit here and smile at each other. Sam's hair is awesome. So I. Um did a uh, home practice uh, with uh, Michael Taft on the uh, Suns and Young's uh, audio Steve, site. Um, you look like you're talking, but you're not making any sound on this end. No. Oh. No, I, I hear him. I can hear him too. Uh, yeah, I can hear him as well. Well, I'm, I'm doing a special. Oh, voice. oh maybe it's, maybe I'm the one who has the problem. <laughs> maybe everybody else is talking, and I'm just like, this is funny. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Built-in output headphones. Hmm. How about same as system? Oh, my speaker is muted. You guys have been talking all this time, and I've been like innocently assuming that it was your fault that I couldn't hear you. Anyway, as I was saying, the. Um Michael Taft did a uh, formless jhana practice uh, that was uh, broadcast on Susan Young's home practice, and uh, been working on that, and that's been uh, interesting. It's, uh, the first one is uh, just removing the boundaries of space, so was uh, been working on that during the week. So what's that like? It's good. It's like. Um, I mean, how do you remove the boundaries of space? Well, first he does the uh, all rest of uh, Sinsen Young's practice. Where, so you're, you're focusing on rest and then he gets you mellowed into the rest. And then once you're, you know, you rest, then you go into uh, space removal. You just, everything you think of, everything that comes across as a sensation or as a thinking or as a imagining is uh, replied to with space. So you just think space for everything. And so you just soak into the rest and into the space and uh, seems to get you deeper. Um, how, how the interplay of hallucinations and uh, deepness, that's good. That's the hard part. So that's uh, seeing hallucinations as a removal of boundaries and then, but still like saying, well, you still have to find a way within them. So, you know, that's the uh, context of the experience. Cool.
so uh, I guess I could say something about my practice if uh, I don't normally start out doing that, but everybody seems so quiet today. Um, I've been having this fun thing happening where um, I realized that like there's a, there's a, you know, the, the, um, the uh, sort of noticing and the aha moment and the idea that you're supposed to be happy when the aha moment happens. So um, I've been noticing this thing and I don't really know how, uh, you know, how much of a, well, this feels like it's really helpful to me. Um, when I have, when I notice something that's going on, there's a tendency for resistance to arise. Um, and so even if I have like the joyful aha moment, it can be a joyful aha moment that's about solving a problem and um, about things being wrong. But um, the reality is that, that uh, everything about the aha moment is right. There's nothing about it that isn't perfect um, because it's, it's really like whenever you're in a place where you need to have an aha moment, the aha moment is the exact right thing to have happen. And everything that you see in the aha moment is perfect because the point of the aha moment is just to see what's going on, right? And so um, the tendency when the aha moment comes up for me is to think, oh, there's a problem. Here's the problem. I will make the problem stop. Um, but at least for me right now, it doesn't feel like it's actually necessary to do that. And it feels like it's actually somewhat harmful to do that. Um, and so what I've been doing is just allowing the aha moment to happen and then just, just sort of resting in the awareness of what's going on and then seeing what changes rather than, uh, having an awareness of what's going on, deciding what needs to change. Um, and I don't, I don't actually know how well this will work generally as a practice, but it seems to work well for me at the moment. What I wind up doing is, is being a lot happier with how my meditation is going and still noticing all the things that need to happen and they also still seem to happen, but I don't have to struggle with them. So anyway, that's, that's what I've been obsessing about the last couple of days. Question, uh, how often are you having the aha moment in a, in a sit, roughly? Constantly. I mean, when I say constantly, I don't mean like, like continuously. I just mean it's happening like so often that it would be challenging to say. And, and a lot of times what's happening is I'm noticing that everything's fine. But, but it's interesting. It's like, it's like when I started not having the aha moment be, oh, there's a problem, it started happening more. I mean, part of what's going on also is that, um, you know, so I just got back from this trip to California. I got all the stuff on my agenda and all kinds of things to do. And so, you know, I, I sit down to meditate and all of this stuff comes up. And, um, you know, obviously, like the idea of sitting down to meditate is that you're trying to meditate, right? You're trying to get a certain result. You have an agenda. And um, 
part of what has been going on for me with this, with this relationship that I've been having with the aha moment recently is just like an acceptance that I don't actually know what the agenda is. Like, of course I have some reason why I came to sit down and I have some practice that I'm trying to do and I'd like to do that practice. And so the aha moment is about, you know, noticing that I'm not doing that practice, but it's also about just like noticing what's happening. And, um, you know, so it's, it's like, it's not that when the aha moment happens, I think to myself, Oh, it's okay that I'm, um, off topic that I'm thinking about what I need to, what code I need to write when I, you know, or whatever. It's just, that's what I'm actually doing. Like, like I'm actually thinking about what code I need to write. And I'm not going to like pretend that I'm thinking about something else. I'm not going to be in denial about what's going on in my mind because being in denial about what's going on in my mind just prevents me from having aha moments. So uh, a question would before you said you met it with resistance, right? Is that, yeah. So, I mean, when I say I met it with resistance, what I, what I mean is just that like the aha moment was a recognition that something was wrong, right? As opposed to a recognition of what is happening right now. Hmm. You see what I mean? Hmm. Yeah. Subtle. Yeah, it, 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 it is very subtle. I, I think, I think I, I'm not even sure that it's a useful point to make, but I'm making it because it's something that I've been obsessing about the last couple of days and it feels very fruitful to me. So I figure I might as well share it. Yeah. I'm wondering, uh, Ted, is there a specific intention that you're sticking with lately? That you, like a specific intention that you're holding for the entire sit or um, is it, I'm just, I'm just kind of wondering, um, what's the main thing that you're working with and trying to do? And like, what's the main intention that you're going towards? Uh, well, I mean, A, that's a good question. And, and, and probably the answer is no, there isn't a single intention. Um, you know, if I were to conjecture what my, if I were to say what my, what I think my intention is, 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 is when I go into the meditation, it's um, right now I'm working on, trying not to uh, conceptualize the sensations that I'm experiencing. So uh, in other words, when I'm following the breath, rather than having an idea about what all of those sensations are and how they fit together, just notice the sensations, just experience the sensations. Um, and you know, this is sort of, sort of part of, you know, a close following practice. But yeah, I mean, that's a really good, that's a really good question. Cause now that you, now that you mentioned it, I would say that my intention was pretty vague. I mean, mostly my intention actually, <laughs> to be honest with you, my intention, the whole practice, now that I think about it was to release that resistance, the resistance to what is. Yeah, I think I, I think I get the the, the sort of uh, territory that you're in because you're, there's no craving to make anything different. So whatever comes up is just sort of whatever's coming up, um, and 
uh, everything's okay. Um, so it's, it's, it's okay that there's no intention and that there's thoughts coming up, but, um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like equanimity to me. Right. Except I think it's a bit artificial. So, you know, it's like, at this point, it's like the itch that I have to scratch is that tendency to, to not have equanimity. Like it's, it's, it's the tendency to see that there's something wrong. And, you know, part of this, it's not even really my idea. Like I've been having this discussion. There's this guy on, um, on Reddit who, who's been haranguing me for years about my relationship with Geshe Michael Roach. And um, he's always trying to like get me to like, I don't know exactly what, but, but about two or three weeks ago, um, somebody came on our Buddhism and said something about how everything is perfect right now. And that triggered my, my friend to, um, to mention me. I don't even read our Buddhism because it's just too, there's too much fighting there. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, so, but, but this guy, like, you know, it's, we have this very weird relationship. Um, and I kind of appreciate it actually, because, because he often does things that trigger me and, uh, and it's helpful to be triggered in that way because then I can see myself being triggered and notice that the trigger is there. Um, but anyway, so he, he was, uh, he saw this message and, and, and he was like, well, but like, isn't Buddhism about compassion and isn't compassion about like wanting to help others? And like, if everything's perfect, then how can you want to help others? And, um, you know, so, so we got into kind of this long discussion about that, or not even long, but just kind of this discussion about that. And so like this morning before my meditation, actually, or maybe it was last night, I wrote a long response to him about how, um, you know, the, like you have this experience of emptiness and when you have this experience of emptiness, there's a tendency to see all of the problems in the world and to take all of the problems of the world onto yourself, right? Like you see that there's suffering and, and you, 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 the, the feeling of seeing that there's suffering creates this feeling of responsibility. Like I can see that there's suffering, therefore I need to do something about the suffering. And then when you get into that mindset, it's like there's a tendency to, to, to have to solve that problem because of course I can't solve all the pain in the world. There's no way I am not big enough to solve all of the pain in the world. I can't do it, but I feel like I have to do it. So how do I, how do I resolve that? And the answer is, is I think suchness, right? It's like, it's like, Things are precisely as they are. And that means I have precisely the ability that I have. Um, and I have precisely the opportunity that I have. And so um, it seems to me that dwelling in suchness would mean that you're able to see what you can actually do and that it just becomes done. Like it just happens because you're no longer in this state of resistance of what is, both in terms of what's out there and what's in here, what I'm able to do 
Like the resistance to what I'm able to do says I must do everything, right? I must do, or I must do nothing or something. It's like, it's like oscillating between those two extremes. Like if I see that I must do everything, then that becomes this crushing weight. And in order to relieve myself of the crushing weight, I have to push it away and say, no, I can do nothing. And so, um, so dwelling in suchness means that I'm no, no longer experiencing the crushing weight because I'm seeing things precisely as they are. I'm not trying to, I'm not in a state of non-acceptance, right? I'm not thinking that I can do more than I can do is one way to think about it. I mean, that's, that's a gross oversimplification, but, but for what it's worth, I'm not thinking about what I can do. And so, um, so then the weight of the world is no longer on my shoulders, right? And so now I can see what I can actually do and that, what I can actually do is part of what is, right? I think, were we talking about this last week, Sam? Uh, I think it was, uh, we talked about something like this the week before, but I, uh, I, I really understand what you're saying. It's, yeah. uh, um, and what you were saying about how um, you can only do what you can do, mm -hmm. that was what was coming up in my mind. Like, I think once, um, you know, once the burden of, myself and my problems is lifted I think there's a natural tendency to uh, want to help others and see that the only worthwhile thing to do is to help others um, and if you I think where um, the, there might be a little subtle uh, craving left over in thinking that you have to help the entire world and that you have to do more than than you are capable of doing. Yep. Um, and you know that's that's maybe just some like residual um, clinging to the idea that there's a me that can do um, you know more than I can do. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you, when that's released, like you were saying, um, and you're just dwelling in things as they are, then you, you recognize that you just do what you can do. And that's, that's perfection right there. Yep. So, yeah, I, I'm on board with that. <laughs> oh dear. So <laughs> yeah, so it's a, that's a fun topic. Um, and we seem to have gone, totally in, in the opposite direction of, of the sort of intention that I had to talk about uh, early stages first. So uh, now, that we've, now that we've gone down this really fun exploration, should I, does anybody, I mean, does, really does nobody have anything they want to bring up? Mike, you got anything? Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Air okay. Uh, well, I did want to ask Sam if he uh, has made any progress on, uh, reading any books or material or anything related to uh, life in the, in the job market world and anything like that, if you made any progress in there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was uh, maybe two weeks ago, I was uh, talking about some bit of a struggle, um, basically looking for a job and feeling a bit like that didn't, uh, that was grading against sort of my personality and uh, I don't know, maybe apathy a little bit. Um, but I, I, I didn't look into 
the books that you suggested yet. Um, I've been kind of focusing on doing more meta practice, um, specifically uh, going back to the basics and meta for myself. Um, and that seems to have cleared a lot of the neurosis out regarding like the uh, career path stuff. Um, it, yeah, it's been kind of tough um, because um, I'm in this really highly competitive field and I, I entered that field with a different mindset than I have now. And um, I'm kind of at a crossroads and the choice is to do like, to continue following this road that I've pretty much uh, gone down and I'm about to finish my PhD and it's, uh, you know, I'm wondering whether I should do a postdoc or literally go postal and get a job at the post office. Uh, because I want something that's conducive to the path. And I want something that I can, uh, I want a job that reflects uh, what I've realized, I guess. And I'm not sure if being a big career person is like that, the way to go, really. I, I don't see that like as a source of happiness in the world, specifically. Um, but at the same time, I think there's still some some craving left over of, you know, maybe maybe I just don't want to put in the effort to continue on the road that I'm on. Um, so it's been kind of confusing sorting out what's craving and what's actually like the um, going with what is, basically. Um, so... Yeah, meta seems to help with a lot of that because uh, I can recognize that all these cravings and things, uh, all this dissatisfaction is really just some part of your mind that thinks that wants to relieve your suffering, um, but it's confused about how to do that. And by recognizing that pretty much all your actions are motivated by reducing suffering in some way or another. Um, you can see that some, some are a little bit confused and others are more informed on what's actually effective. And I think uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. But, um, yeah, I've just been really busy. I mean, I, I have uh, looked up that book and ordered it, um, but I just haven't uh, read it yet. So it's kind of been a weird time for me, but. It's, it's really interesting. This is, this, is, this is exactly the issue that I got obsessed with about a year ago, um, probably because of some stuff that you said a year ago, actually. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's all your fault. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, this is how we think together, right? We, we talk about stuff and then we obsess about it and then whatever. But um, 
you know, what, so one of the things that I've been noticing in work is that, um, is just the amount of conditioning that I have around work. Um, and like how much of the conditioning that I have around work is sort of, um, it's, it's really kind of unrelated to like, it's inconsistent. Like if I had had equanimity when the condition was being, when the conditioning was being produced, it wouldn't have been produced. Right. Um, so, so like essentially the, the way that the conditioning manifests is just a subtle lack of equanimity about all of the work that I'm doing or sometimes an unsubtle lack of equanimity. Um, and so like, you know, why is it that it's preferable to sit down and read a Harry Potter fanfic instead of working on some stuff that I need to get done? Like, why is one of those better than the other? Well, the answer is because the conditioning that I have around Harry Potter fanfics is more pleasant to my mind. Just what you were saying, it's the avoidance of suffering or the, the curing of suffering. The conditioning that I have around the Harry Potter fanfic is more pleasant to my mind than the conditioning that comes up automatically when I try to do work. It's not the work itself that's the problem. It's the conditioning. And so, um, ironically, what that means is that the only way to deal with that conditioning is to do the work. Like, I actually, like, I've been doing this, like, kind of nutty job. Like, I don't, I'm not really a big fan of, of uh, working long hours, but I've been doing this nutty long hour job for a while. And the reason why it's made sense to do it is because it's bringing up this conditioning and letting me, letting me integrate it. So, so like, you know, I had a work deadline that ended about two weeks ago. I, I don't know if I talked about it much on here or not, but, um, but I, re I had to work like, like basically from the time I got up to the time I went to sleep um, for two weeks straight. And the amount of like conditioning that came up during, cause like, you know, like I don't have to do that. Like, it, I'm, I'm not that interested in my career. I mean, I don't, you know, it's like, that's not necessary, but it was really useful. What was really interesting, you know, it was still spotty by the time I got to the end of the two weeks, but there were periods when I would go through an entire day and just be like very happily getting stuff done. And, you know, the thing about getting stuff done is that from a sort of a, you know, is that a way to be happy or not perspective? There's a tendency to think that getting stuff done is not as much a way to be happy as reading Harry Potter fanfic. But the reality is reading Harry Potter fanfic is actually just as much suffering as, um, you know, as getting stuff done. Like there, it's not like reading Harry Potter fanfic is somehow better. Um, you know, maybe going for a walk in the woods is better. I don't know, but, um, but definitely reading Harry Potter fanfic isn't, isn't, really better it's just that that's what was working for me at the time so because i i say this with you know complete honesty like i i i uh i do enjoy harry potter fanfic and and uh spent quite a bit of time reading it the last six months <laughs> but uh um anyway so the point is that that um it may be so there i, I would say that that i guess there's two things that i'm sort of very ramblingly pointing at here. Um, one of them is that um, putting yourself in that environment when you're in a state of mind where you know that it's not really what you want to be doing 
um, is really useful because it brings up all that conditioning and you have to deal with it and that can be really cool. The other thing is, um, goes back to the, the, what we were talking about with suchness earlier, like there, the set of things that you could do is, is, is what it is, right? Um, and so one of the things you could do is you could withdraw and not be um, basically put yourself into your practice and not into the world. And that might be the right thing to do. That's, I'm not saying that's not the right thing to do, but the consideration to have, and, and this is something that I'm struggling with because I spent like a day with Jeffrey Martin last week and it was really great. And I was like, wow, I want to just do this all the time. Um, so, uh, but the, 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 um, the question to ask is like, is there something that you're uniquely in a position to do that you're not really quite aware of yet? And can you go down the process of discovering what that is? Because anybody can go work in, the, I mean, not anybody, anybody able-bodied can go work in the post office, right? That's not like a special thing that, that only you can do. So is there a special thing that only you can do? And if there is, why not do that? Um, it's probably not what you thought you were doing. Like when you went and started working on your PhD, you probably had something completely different in mind. And so part of your job is to like forget that and see if there's something else, right? And you know, whatever that is, then, then you can, you can go do it. And of course, whatever it is that you come up with will be wrong, right? It's not like, it's not like you're omniscient or something and you can see the future and, you know, we're, we're not special, at least I'm not special in that way. But, but what you can do is you can notice like what the opportunity is and, and incrementally go a little further in. And then uh, when you've incrementally gone a little further in, then you'll have a new perspective and you'll see more clearly what opportunity you actually have. And that'll also be wrong and you'll incrementally go a little ways in on that. And after a while, you'll look back and you'll realize that you've done something that you didn't realize you were gonna do. And that's where you're, I would suggest that's where you would ideally wanna go. I mean, it could be that pursuing a career in the post office is the way to do that. Maybe what the, maybe what the world really needs is a new kind of um, uh, adhesive for envelopes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and and somehow that will because you because you know you brought your chemistry knowledge is chemistry right you, you brought your chemistry knowledge into um, into the post office somehow there was the synergy that, that you couldn't have even anticipated so maybe that is actually the right thing to do but that's the that's the thought process that I think you might want to consider exploring it also may be that It also may be that uh, the kind of job that you, that you choose to do uh, influences your practice. Like, uh, it I don't think it's the same to be a nurse, for example, than to do engineering. Like, you get more chances to, to do uh, mindfulness practice and compassion practice all day long, if you have a job related with people uh, in that way, like, 
that, that's a question I also have, and I don't know what to do with that because I'm an engineer. And engineering is really not a healthy place to uh, do awakening stuff. And uh, I think that that may, may also be another criteria to choose your job. So, Carrie's got her hand up, but before, before we go to Carrie, I want to ask you a question, Adrian. Um, so, you said that engineering is not a healthy place to do awakening practice, but is it really engineering that's not a healthy place to do awakening practice, or is it the, engine, the situation where you're doing engineering that's not healthy? Like, is it actually engineering that's the problem? I mean, there are two, two things, or I, I, I can think of two things. Mm -hmm. The first is the environment engineering, and the second is the, if you remove the environment and you get only the work itself, like uh, engineering is all intellectual, like you are thinking in the mm -hmm. mind, solving logical problems, eight hours, boom. Uh, straight like that's the thing in in the best case that you are capable of uh, working uh, with mindfulness in the part of the job that you are able make sense to to do it like when you deal with other highly ego <laughs> people in your in your environment and but even if you are able to do that, which is very difficult to do that, like it's very easy to say, well, you can practice compassion, it's a healthy environment because you are triggered, but yeah, well, that's the theory. <laughs> but in practice, it's very, very difficult yeah. to do that if you are not able to remove yourself a little bit from the environment enough time to. <laughs> Like being exposed to that every day is very difficult to do to oh. to respond properly to it. But what do you mean by uh, respond properly? Like if you are constantly if if your attachments are constantly triggered, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very difficult to to respond uh, with equanimity with trying to develop introspective awareness to practicing virtue. Like, I mean, I, I, I get that there's a part of that that is good, but um, it wouldn't be fair to say that it's the best environment to, to practice that because in my experience, you need space. Like if you are constantly stressed every day it's, and you, you cannot rest, it's very difficult to, to practice like mm -hmm. I, I needed that with my parents for example <laughs> they, and they space. are my family what you needed space <sighs> like i was constantly every day thinking that um, i'm doing it wrong i should be compassionate well I, I wasn't thinking that i was trying to do the right thing which is mm -hmm. to be compassionate and to develop the equanimity i should love my family that's what yes, makes yes. sense <laughs> But well, uh, I learned that as a theory, but the practice is that when I went seven days on my own without speaking with yeah. my parents, I guess it was way easier to 
yeah. to do the right thing when I came back and right. to see my attachments and to see them uh, in yeah. a way that I couldn't see them before. So, I so think we've got two hands up. I want to make a suggestion to you and then, then uh, it will be Carrie's turn. My suggestion is this. Um, rather than thinking that, so first of all, I think it's a good observation, right? That, that sometimes the right thing to do is just take a vacation from everything and let your mind settle. Because then when you come back, you have a new perspective and you can do things that you couldn't do before because you're, you're just in a different place. Um, but the other thing is, um, is the practice that you need to be doing with your family or in your engineering job or whatever it is you're doing with engineering, is the practice that you need to be um, behaving compassionately or is that a result of a practice that you need to do? In other words, is that, so, so this, is, this goes back to what I was talking about with suchness earlier. Like when you think the right thing for me to be doing is, um, uh, is being compassionate, but that's not what you're doing. Isn't the first thing you need to do just noticing what you're doing and like accepting what you're doing, like not resisting what you're doing, not saying this isn't what I'm doing or, or this is what I should be doing and I'm not doing it. Right. So, so <laughs> anyway, uh, we're having a big debate about who goes next, but, but the point I wanted to make is just like, there's a tendency and it's a really strong tendency in Dharma practitioners to have like this idea of what their practice should be and to try to do that practice. And what I'm getting at is that it may be better to, to, to actually ask a more basic question, not, not here's what my practice should be. Why am I not succeeding in doing it? But rather what should my practice be? What is, what is happening right now? What do I need to do with what's happening right now? As opposed to like, what's my, you know, the aspiration, of course, might be to be comp more compassionate. Yeah, I, I think I understand. Okay, I I so understand. I'll, I'll, I'll shut up then. But uh, so uh, I guess, uh, Carrie, do you want to go next? Sure. Yeah, I was just going to kind of like do a check-in and, um, and um, practice has been challenging for me lately. Um, motivation and um and resistance um it's always been there um i'm kind of morally opposed to routine and have relied on kind of a almost a intellectual interest or just kind of a fascination and just the newness of um sitting and what it brings up and and of course that's something that is dependent on circumstances so um and of course when things are tough and i'm desperate that's also a pretty good motivator um but when there's an active kind of hindrance or aversion that's really challenging mm -hmm. um, for me. And um, in the dedicated practitioners course, we're in the section on loving kind, or we just finished the section on loving kindness meditation. And if you remember my resistance to the Lester Levinson 
exercise, knowing full well that it would be good for me. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, and it's kind of knowing that that's what I should be doing, but not wanting to, is kind of, oh, I don't know if it's doubt, resistance, aversion, a little of everything. And because the reason I think I should be doing it is because I can tell that there's something that needs to um, there's something in the way of my regular sits, and it's related to that. So, yeah, I it's just, yeah. So, I mean, a, I totally relate. <laughs> B, um, I guess. You know, I'm going to actually kind of say exactly what I just said to, to Adrian, which is um, that perhaps the thing you need to do now is notice, not rather, rather than trying to do what you should be doing. Yeah. Right. Notice what's going on when you think, so you have this, there's this part of you that says, I should be doing blah, right? I should be doing meta practice. I should be doing compat, whatever. Right. Yep. And then there's this other part of you that's resisting that. So so is it really your job at that point to go do the meta practice or is really that not the practice for today is the practice for today to try to ask the question, why don't I want to do meta, meta practice? What's going on? It appears to be the case that I, that I am not doing meta practice because I don't want to do meta practice. So let's get in touch with that. Let's explore that. You know, let's do a meditation practice where we get to see that. Now, of course, what you may find is that the resistance to that immediately like gets even stronger. Yep. So, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. So then, you know, but but still the the question rather than like thinking, you know, I should be doing blah, just like mm -hmm. try to explore what's going on right now. And and or if you if you don't feel like you can explore it, then I mean you have like this very relaxing, gentle practice that you can do that doesn't threaten you. So yep. do that. <laughs> yep, see exactly. If, see, if, see if you can create a welcome space for the whatever it is that's trying to come up to come up gently without being a big battle or a big struggle. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's hard because there's the, the fine line between, because I've been sitting and watching this resistance and this kind of interplay mm -hmm. um, happening for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like feel like, I've watched it enough and that I just need to, or I just want to muster a little courage, I guess, or something. Okay. Well, so. Yeah, because I feel like I'm, this, this is hard mm -hmm. because I feel like I'm being too easy on myself which is very strange thing to say because i also think i have a tendency to be too hard on myself and so i don't know where that fine line is um here i could probably say the exact same thing with a different twist to it to make it you know not being hard on myself yeah so i mean i think you know part of what's going on here may just be that you're struggling with your superego so you've gotten to this place where your superego really isn't required in the way that it used to be. And 
um, but it's still there. <laughs> and, um, and when it tells you to do something, you recognize, you, you now know that your superego is not really the right way to be running your life, right? Do you know what, I, do you know what I'm talking about when I say your superego? Because I'm, I'm kind of throwing that term around and I'm not a psychologist, so I might even be using it wrong. Um, but what I mean is there's this part of you that, that thinks that it has to be in control and thinks yeah. that it has to follow rules and thinks that it should do this and it should do that. And at some point, you just can't use should as a motivation anymore. You just can't. It's not going to work. It's never going to work. No amount it of- It never worked. Should. Right. Well, <laughs> right. For you, it never worked. Fine. So that's even better. So, for me yeah. also. Yeah. Yeah. So, so then like- maybe the right thing to do is stop trying to make should work. It's like, you know, stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that's true. Right. Like, like instead, um, try to figure out why you want to do it. Like, why are you even doing the dedication, dedicated practitioners course? I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but, yeah. but why are you doing it? Like, what is it that, what is it that actually motivated you to do it? Get in touch with that. The structure. Yeah. Well, is that really what actually motivated you to do it, or is that what your superego used to explain why you Good decided point. to do it? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So maybe try to get a little bit more in touch with what's actually motivating you, which, you know, you're, I'm not saying you're ever going to, like, know precisely what's motivating you. I don't think that's what I'm... Oh, actually, uh, actually now that you mention it, it's um, actually community. Hmm. Okay. Well, so, yeah. so let's, let's take that as a conjecture. If it's actually community, well... What what is it you want of, right? What is it that you want out of the community? I mean, you know, is it yeah. do you just want to hang out, or are you thinking that like hanging out with community will help to like shift things for you, or yeah. you know? And I'm not trying to put an answer. I, I think you should just stop and maybe think about this for a week or two, and and try yeah. to get in touch with that, and not not like when you find an answer, don't stop, keep going yeah. because the answer yeah. is probably still surface. And, you know, when you're done, you'll be really confused, but you may actually have a clarity. You, you won't have a clarity in the sense of, like, I know precisely what the answer is, but you may have more clarity in the sense of, of um, like, that you'll have actually helped the deep mind to get clarity, even if the clarity doesn't rise to the surface. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yep. No, I I definitely do. Yeah. Okay. So cool. I I can I kind of want to emphasize something in our in our conversation, um, and the first word I guess that comes to my mind is is love, right? And um, I think most specifically, well, and then to you, Carrie, um, the other thought that's really coming to my mind is that. You know, the probably our greatest source of power, so to speak, is our um, ability to be vulnerable, right? And and that's also the direction um, heading into being more and more, you know, and it's a more and more vulnerability is also direction of greater and greater connection, and. Also, it's also the direction of kind of invulnerability, right? And that's something that's kind of counterintuitive, right? I mean, because there's the, the part of us that really 
deeply doesn't want that, right? It wants to always be in control and, and has all these ideas about, you know, the shoulds, right? I, I should do this. I should be like this. You know, my life should be like this. And, um, you know, even as we were talking about sort of jobs, right? Uh, I think a lot of it is just one, we are best, right? And we only need enough wisdom, right? To try to take, you know, the next step. And it's only just like a baby step. And that's constantly what we're doing, right? But, and, and it's our mind, you know, the conceptual mind tries to really map things out, like, okay, what should my career be? And obviously we have to do some of that, right? But life is actually not like that. You know, life is really just like, you know, baby steps, you know, what, what you do in this exact moment. So, I mean, that's kind of tying in. That's kind of what I wanted to tie in um, in our previous conversation. But going back, I guess, to, to what you're saying about the, the difficulty, um, yeah. Carrie, that you're experiencing. I mean, that's, I mean, it's clear stuff's coming up for you, right? And, and in, in a lot of ways, that's, that's a very, very good thing because, um, you know, obviously it's this, it's this stuff that's always been there. And it's also stuff that we all deal with, right? We all have to, to you know, to, to go through. Um, and, I, and I think just the biggest thing I could, you know, besides what I offered, but really it's just like, you know, encouragement. I mean, this is something that we're, we all grew, go through. We're all human, right? And, and we don't have to be... Uh, perfect we don't have to have all the answers um you know we don't have to feel and oftentimes you know we think we're, we're supposed to feel a different way um but but sometimes just you know whatever struggle we're going through in our practice in our life just to almost cut ourselves some slack with that and be like oh that, and, and this does tie in exactly what, what what ted was talking about too that's just the way things are right now and um you know, I, but I'm, I'm more just trying to emphasize the other part of the, it's a little bit more of, um, is it the, the other quote side of the brain, the more sort of intuitive, yeah. uh, more emotional and more just, uh, yeah, try to cut, cut yourself some slack. Right. And, um, and which I think is very much in line, exactly what Ted's saying, what other people are saying, but it's more just, um, you know, this, this, this life that we live, <laughs> uh, there's, there, there's a lot of difficulties, right? And, um, yeah. and I think the, the word, the, the thing, the thing to really to get rid of is not necessarily the difficulties, but more like, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. And it, yeah, I shouldn't feel this way. Yeah. I shouldn't do this. And just all that extra pressure. And it just, Sometimes you just, you, you feel a mess <laughs> yeah. and you're like, that's just what it is, you know, that's, and, and that's okay. Um, because that too will pass. And, um, you know, and, and actually the, the greater growth in the long term is actually, you know, going through that process of, of being vulnerable, right? You'd be like, oh, wow. Okay. I survived that, you know, and, yeah. and you just keep going through that. And that's just, oh, okay. Yeah. I survived that. And, um, you know, this, the next moment comes, the next moment comes. And, and that's where your invulnerability comes from that you were talking about, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's, that's where our, our, our resilience comes from. Yeah. That's a better word. Yeah. The resilience comes from that, that experiential learning of going through 
and, and facing, you know, and facing it with like your, your full, as much, not as much of your full sort of conscious attention. There's always going to be some resistance, right? But, yeah. um, you know, your goal is, you know, to have more, more, uh, less resistance than you had before, right? So, as yep. you, you know, you're approaching it a little bit more, right? As opposed to, um, you know, say there was, uh, 50% resistance, right? But okay, this next time I'm going to try to have less resistance. So it'll be 49%, right? Or, you know, something like yep. that. <laughs> yeah. Nope. That's. Yeah. And this all kind of reminds me that it's not so much about. It's more about, um, Oh boy. Anyway. I can see a lovely can of worms for you, Carrie. <laughs> no, it's, 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 yeah, no, it's, it's helpful. And yeah, I mean, it's all things that I know, you know, but it's, it's good to hear them. Yeah. And, you know, take stock in them and, um, yeah. I mean, I will say this is part of why uh, Sangha is important because, um, yes. you know, you have your own thought processes inside of your head, right? And those thought processes will tend to play out in a certain direction. And when you want to get unstuck, the best possible thing you can do is expose yourself to other thought processes. Yep. Because then you're not still, you're not just, you're not limited to the resources that are in here. Anyway, uh, Ken has had his hand up for a long time, so do you want to pitch in, Ken? By the way, welcome, Rodrigo. Yeah, hey, Ted. Um, yeah, no, uh, just wanted to touch on a couple of things that kind of have come to mind. And one thing I will say is that it's really strange sometimes how serendipitous some things that come up in this discussion are with respect to my ordinary life and my outside life particularly some of the discussion about uh, career and what you were just saying about sangha is actually tying into something that i've really been realizing about what chula dasa said in one of his later interludes which is, you know, everything is at some level, uh, what did he call it, a natural individual with communication processes and, you know, in exactly the same way as the sub-minds are all doing their own thing and then, you know, having this discussion in quote-unquote my consciousness, you know, all of the 12 of us right now are having our own things going on and then sharing it in the consciousness of the the zoom screen and the sangha and it's exactly the same thing and you know i see my attention jumping around and you know competing intentions arise and you know it seems like it's all part of the same thing and that's just really cool and uh you know so kind of circling back to what sam was talking about earlier in career and going back to the serendipity thing it's actually interesting because in my past, I have both worked for the post office and been in a PhD program. <laughs> so it's like, how bizarre is that, right? Um, 
but uh, you know, and so one of the thoughts that arose there is that, you know, you sort of see those as two opposites and, you know, this is obviously me projecting intention on you, but, you know, in one sense, it's like the post office and, you know, personal practice is quote unquote good. And, you know, the chemistry and career is, you know, in some sense, you know, bad or potentially false or whatever. But another way to look at that is that in order for this Sangha that we're engaging in today to even exist, you know, is built on technology and work and careers and dedication, you know, people like Ted burning the midnight oil to, you know, develop protocols to enable, you know, internet video chats to exist. And, you know, I've, you know, done the same thing and countless other people, you know, so even though those may not be, you know, directly enlightenment specific goals for Ted or for myself, you know, to work in tech or whatever, you know, in some sense, they are contributing to, you know, the greater good. So just saying, don't rule out that side of that side of things based on, uh, you know, what may seem aesthetically as a more of a, you know, idyllic, you know, simple life in the monastery delivering mail or whatever versus, you know, versus something else. But uh, no, I mean, just, just this, the Sangha thing is really resonating with, with a lot of the, the equanimity that you were talking about, Ted, and, you know, my practice is really, you know, settling down and, you know, just stuff that happens has happened. And it's, you know, very, very, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just very strange. And this isn't the way I normally talk or the way I talk to anybody else in the world, but, you know, sitting here right now, you know, just seeing all these other people and, um, you know, just seeing the Sangha as part of something else. It's, you know, it's just, you know, strange feelings of joy are rising and, you know, it's, yeah, it's just kind of weird. So anyway, so that's, that's where I am. And, you know, for for what it's worth, that's two cents towards Sam's problem. Thanks for that, Ken. Maybe we should maybe we should talk sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I have a friend who uh, is uh, she's a, a finders course person, and she's in uh, Jeffrey's location for and uh, which is a very equanimous location. And um, I was talking about work a while ago and she was like, well, why is that any different than anything else? She's a doctor. Anyway, Mike, you had your hand up. Yeah, I was, um, after Carrie was mentioning, or actually after you were talking, I was thinking of some things that Pima Chodron wrote um, that I read that really, and that, that really related that. And then Gilbert went ahead and said exactly the thing that she wrote. <laughs> like he didn't say what she wrote exactly, but he said it, he, you know, through his experiential way uh, and exactly the same thing, but I just pulled it up and I was wondering if, um, since I, I haven't ingrained it into my, mind as well as someone who's gone through it. I was wondering if I should just read some of the, the passage. It's about a page 
for you guys. Maybe that might be helpful a little bit. It's really good stuff, and I don't know if we, I don't know how long it will take, maybe a minute or two. So if that sounds good, I'll go ahead and just yeah tell you what she says. She says, so she's talking about meditation. Um, this is a, of course, this is a, like a Tibetan um, approach, but um, so she says, uh, meditation takes us just as we are with our confusion and our sanity. This complete accept acceptance of ourselves as we are as we are is called maitri, a simple direct relationship with the way we are. Trying to fix ourselves is not helpful. It implies struggle and self-denigration. Denigrating ourselves is probably the major way that we cover over our uh, bodhicitta. I'm not sure exactly how to say it. Um, does not trying to change mean we have to remain angry and addicted until the day we die? This is a reasonable question. Trying to change ourselves doesn't work in the long run because we're resisting our own energy. Self-improvement can have temporary results, but lasting transformation only occurs when we honor ourselves as the source of wisdom and compassion. Um, and she goes on in the next paragraph. Is when we be begin to relax with ourselves that meditation becomes a transformative process. Only when we relate with ourselves without moralizing, without harshness, without deception, can we let go of harmful patterns. Without matri, renunciation of old habits becomes abusive. This is an important point. Um, and she talks about steadfastness um, within your meditation practice. And when you stay and be present with yourselves and whatever comes up, it becomes increasingly clear that we won't be free of self-destructive patterns unless we develop a compassionate understanding of what they are. So that's what she had to say. And I thought it was very appropriate to a lot of the thing, things that we were talking about. That's really cool. You know, I've always, I've always really uh, appreciated Pema Chodron. I've, I've, uh, you know, I've read, I've been reading her books for like the last 20 years probably. But I haven't actually read anything of hers recently because I've had too many other things on my mind. And it's, it's interesting to see, because I, I remember reading that passage and um, not, not getting it at all, honestly. Um, really? Yeah. So it's really interesting. A while ago. Yeah, it was probably, is that from When Things Fall Apart? Uh, no, it's The Places That Scare oh, You. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, so uh, I think actually Andrea and I listened to that uh, when we were on a drive to or from Arizona about 10 years ago. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Pema Chidron's pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Um, so George, you have your hand up. Oh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm George uh, from Massachusetts. Um, so this is my second time here, and uh, thank you, Ted, and everyone uh, for being here. Uh, it is, to the Sangha point real quickly, a good thing just to be able, and this is what I did before, even on a voyeuristic level, just to hang with like-minded people is beneficial. So thank you for that. Um, quickly, to Sam, as a person who was 10 years working and going to school. Uh, when I got my JD, I was burnt. And it sounds like you're burnt. So if you want a gig that is a little more menial, like a yogi job, and you just want to do that for a while after you get your PhD, I think you should do that, man. Go do it. Do it for a couple months. See what happens. 
um, everyone that, that I've ever seen at the end of a PhD program was like, I'm burnt. I just want to flip a burger. I'm tired of thinking. <laughs> so, you know, if that's what you want to do, I think you should do that and just watch it all unfold. And eventually you'll, you'll find the thing that drove you to the chemistry. Certainly. Uh, and that's what I did basically. Uh, I started, I, when I graduated law school, uh, involuntarily really, uh, it was the 2008, uh, economic implosion. There were no jobs. Um, I worked my way through college as a shipper and receiver and sort of loading trucks. And so I graduated with a specialization in con law and a fork truck license. And when I graduated, um, I didn't even get the fork truck job. I was doing it by hand. Uh, and I did it for almost a year plus. So embrace it, do it. Uh, so there's that. Um, my practice, uh, so I've been practicing since 98. And then like after about 18 years, I was like, this ain't working. I'm not getting whatever it is they said. Uh, and it was the way I was doing it. Uh, because it was just like stream entry or bust type of thing. Uh, so much effort, so much intention to achieve. Uh, there's just no way I was going to get there. I mean, I had plenty of insights and whatnot, but it was just hard going. And so I let it all go. And so now my practice, after a couple of sort of weird retreats, the latest one with Chula Dasa, and then talking with Ted a bit, I've sort of let go of it all because my whole approach has been, this is the progress of insight. It's Mahasasayada. He says, do this and you'll get it. And so I would just do the system and not get it uh, <laughs> and over and over. Uh, and so now I've like let go and I'm really um, trying to just sit every day. And that's it. And that's what I do. And to see how the organism adapts to that. I don't even have a practice. I'm not, I have I'm not trying to do anything on the mat. My sole point is to sit at X time and just watch the effects over time and sort of watch the organism itself get attached to meditating <laughs> in a positive way though, not in a super intent achieve way, um, a sort of organic way. So um, it's been different because it goes against my sort of A-type you know, achieve personality. Um, so that's where that's at. Uh, I'm content so far. Um, and that's all I got to say, I think. And thank you for listening. <laughs> Thanks thank for, sharing, for sharing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, what you're describing sounds a lot like Shinkantaza practice and, and uh, that it's not necessarily the fastest practice but maybe that's not a bad thing and so far it's only been for two months so i'm not i'm not i'm not selling it as like you know this is the end all be all i my if i am checking a box it's that i'm doing this for two months 60 days to see if there is like a difference see how i feel about the thing just by doing it 
Yep. Um, plus, it's based on some sort of science that I've read in the past about how, uh, you know, we become, we develop habits. And so it's usually on average, I mean, it depends on the person, but on average, if you can do the thing uh, for more than like 63 days or whatever, you're, it'll, it'll, it just, you know, the rut is there in the, in, in the organism and you'll do the thing without the should bit, right? You'll just do it, you know, like anything else. You know, like, so yeah, that's the impetus. And then from there, try to um, decide what the next thing will be. But it's more about me just owning my own practice instead of following someone else's recipe. Yep. Um, that's all. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Adrian? One, one thing I might comment to that is, and it's related also with, with what has been said before about uh, I should be and not should be. And, and it is that uh, it may be that the, way, the proper way to, do, uh, to follow instructions and to be able to do other practices and then get the benefit from them is that uh, you need the ability to be able to surrender to them and not and, and that's that's key because there's binary it's it's like either you are able to do it or you are craving like uh, there's the self behind your actions attachments and being able to surrender uh, in my experience uh, uh, is something that you really you, you need to to be familiarized with it or and to have the skill to be able to see, to uh, to recognize when you are doing it because it's qualitatively is very different from craving and 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 and, all, and and the usual thing that you do and when you are working with these kind of things that are spiritual and and, and happening in the mind you cannot force them. Like you, 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 you could, you could crave like doing physical work, and you will be able to do it. But you're not going to be able to crave when you are doing a practice that's that meant to to that your mind needs to be able to follow the rules if you're not capable to, capable of surrendering to them. And in that sense, it might be that you are not going to be able to get the benefits from a practice if you're not capable of following the instructions in that way. My opinion. Yeah. I mean, one, one way to, to, to put that is to, is to think of the practice rather than thinking of the practice as something that you're supposed to do right to think of the practice as something that you do because of how it operates on your mind. And in other words, you're not, the goal isn't to do the practice right, it's to do the practice. Yeah. You're That's better. actually key because if you are able to do the practice and not thinking about right, wrong, you will probably with time get to the right place Yeah. without being attached to do it in the right way, Yeah. which is what, 
prevents you from being able to do it. I don't agree, as always, with these kind of things. Yeah. It's just you're doing just the, the opposite thing that you should be doing. Yeah. Oh, how many, how many, uh, how many years did I spend doing meditation practice with that exact attitude? <laughs> it's depressing, except it's not. It's fine. Anyway, uh, so it's quarter past 11. I actually kind of need to stop at 11.30 or sooner if you guys are all done. Um, I have no strong opinion either way. Does anybody have any last words they want to bring in before we close? Silence. Silence is golden. All right. Well, thanks everyone for coming. It's been really great seeing you and wonderful talking. And thank you for your patience with all of my blathering. And hopefully I'll see you next weekend. Thank you, Ted. See you, everyone. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye.